0: Welcome to the Holy Soup Podcast, where the church's status quo and sacred cows get rounded up, simmered down, and dished out. And now, here's your chief cook, author, innovator, filmmaker, and founder of Group Publishing, Tom Schultz. Welcome to Holy Soup, glad to have you with us today. Today, we're talking about evil. Is it real? Is evil on the increase? How is the church dealing with the presence of evil? Our guest today is Father Gary Thomas from California. He's a Vatican-certified practicing exorcist. In 2005, he was selected to attend a Vatican-sponsored course on exorcisms. He was featured in the book, The Right, the Making of a Modern Exorcist, which was also made into a movie called The Right, starring Anthony Hopkins. So welcome, Father Thomas.
1: Thank you, Tom. I'm very glad to be here, and uh, thank you for the opportunity to come on your show today and and exchange some ideas and have a conversation about this topic. Looking forward to it. Well, tell me what what your work is
0: like. Describe a case, if you can, of uh, where you were confronted with somebody
1: who was in need of an exorcism. Well, usually what happens is um, the normal protocol in a diocese would be the, the person would contact the vicar general or the priest who's basically directly under the bishop but because of the book and the movie oftentimes people just google in exorcist and they find me and then i get a lot of calls and emails directly the normal protocol is that i am the exorcist for the diocese of san jose in california that means that i am responsible for the for the catholics and anyone else for that matter because and i see i see people who are catholic I see people who are Christian and not Catholic. I see people who are non-Christians. I see people actually who are atheists and agnostics as well. Satan isn't choosy when it comes to people being discerned because of the issues that they make. Equal have. opportunity. Yeah, equal opportunity employer. <laughs> so if if it's someone within the diocese, um, then what we try and do is we try and have our prayer, my prayer team, see them before I see them, if if possible, just because of the number of people who make contact with us. But we get lots of calls and emails from outside the diocese from from Colorado or Montana or Tennessee or New York or Florida, wherever. So what we try and do is send them back to to an exorcist or a source within their own local church who can actually be much more helpful to them than help them for me to try and minister them from long distance because it's just not a – it's really not – it's not a good practice. When you do get one sure. who you're face-to-face sure. with – Describe for me. Okay. Now, are you asking me about the discernment aspect, or are you asking me about somebody who has a diabolical attachment? Let's take one who you
0: actually see a diabolical
1: attachment and how you notice that and what you do. There are there are six classical signs uh, as part of the discernment. So when someone comes in, we go through a whole discernment of questions when we're listening basically for doorway. So let's now assume that what we, we have seen, we, we have evidence either through the doorways uh, or we actually see manifestations and fundamentally you're always looking you're looking for the signs but you're listening for the doorways Um, so the six classic signs would be one would be an aversion to the sacred so if a person uh, would be in a church setting and finds that they walk into a church and they find that all of a sudden they're struck with great fear or um, they feel sick to their stomach uh, or if they come into a catholic church. And during the celebration of mass, they might feel like they have all of a sudden are nauseated. Or if they receive the body of Christ, um, either there would be a pungent smell, which I've seen myself in terms of their reaction. Or they feel like they're going to throw up. Or as they're consuming the Eucharist, it burns as going as it going down their throat. Or if they bless themselves with holy water, which we consider a sacramental. Or simply being in an environment of any church, there is this sense of, I have to leave. I have to get out of here. That would be one. Um, another would be uh, during a prayer session where they would exhibit inordinate physical strength that they don't normally possess Uh, another sign would be they would begin speaking in a language they have no competency in, so they they don't know how to speak Spanish or Russian or Latin or Greek and all of a sudden during a prayer session of discernment they're speaking in something they've never ever undertook before Uh, another would be there would be kind of a during a, a period where they're there's actually a casting of a spirit or a demon. Um, There's what we call foaming at the mouth, which is basically the the coughing. And I don't mean coughing like I have flu symptoms or cold symptoms. I mean a, a kind of incessant coughing that is in reaction to prayer, which is where you see the efficaciousness of prayer. They're coughing for a long period of time and oftentimes they're coughing not not vomit, but it's sputum, and we call that foaming at the mouth. Another would be knowledge of hidden things, where an entity would begin, through the vessel of the person, would begin saying things about me or saying things uh, about somebody on my team that they would have no knowledge of. Um, The last sign would be where there's sort of epileptic-like seizures, the distortion of the face, um, movement of limbs in certain kinds of ways, the... um, um, the physical kind of body language, where the hands become almost like claws, hmm. um, sometimes where the fingers will curl up in ways that would seem very unnatural for the person, or where they might even try and uh, the demon would try and attack you by using their hands, but position their but their fingers in a certain way that would give a claw-like effect. Those are those would be the six classical signs wow. and. It wouldn't mean you'd have to have all six of them for you to say that there's a demonic, that there's a demonic um, attachment. I mean, usually one is sufficient, but there are exorcists who will say I I, I will only judge this to be a diabolical um, event if you can show three or four. I've never heard where people come up with those kinds of numbers. I think if there you see a sign, um, that usually means that there's something. Demonic there, but again, we we never. I never do this alone. Um, It is a ministry that intrinsically is collaborative. So I have a medical doctor, a clinician, a clinical psychologist, psychiatrist on my team. All practicing Catholics, all who believe in the existence of Satan. I also have, because of the number of people who come to us where their first language is not English, I also have several bilingual clinicians who are on the staff. And doctors, I have access to who are also Catholic, but and also believe in the existence of Satan, but who also can speak in Spanish or in our diocese because we have a, the second largest number of ca- Vietnamese Catholics in the in the United States. I have so many who have ac- I have access to people who actually are who can speak Vietnamese as well as English.
0: Wow, some of those uh, examples are just frightening, even to to imagine.
1: Well, when you see them up close. Um, after 10 years of being an exorcist, um, when I first saw these experiences in Rome, um, I never ever felt fear. And I think, you know, after time to think about all this, it has to be a grace. I really believe that. And I'm not saying I'm special, but it has to be a grace because I'm not afraid. And I think to be an exorcist and you see these manifestations or you're threatened, you can't be afraid. Mm. And and I know Christ is when we do prayers that sort of I always refer to them as the setting the table prayers before a deliverance session, before a formal exorcism. There's a whole set of prayers that you pray that give boundaries and give who has the authority, the Lord Jesus Christ. You give boundaries to the demons. You give protection to the person who's the subject of this suffering, which fundamentally is always it's always about suffering and demonic stuff oftentimes, but not always. Um, you protect the team who are with you. You you protect the church building and the parish and the parishioners who are part of that church in a way that it insulates them against any retaliation by Satan. Hmm. Do you believe that uh, satanic activity today is on the rise? Yes. Why? I think as as more and more people are in in the culture in the states now who are falling away from involvement or adherence, either involvement in a church specifically or adherence even per se to specific kinds of Christian, overarching Christian doctrine, or for that matter, any religious um, involvement, whether be people be Jewish or Christian um, or some adherence to another religion per se, as people are becoming more and more secularized Every one of us has a soul, regardless of what we believe in our future or our existence. We all have a soul, which means that all of us have a spiritual component, whether we acknowledge it or not. And I do believe every person, therefore, in our human DNA asks certain questions because we have a mind. We have the ability to reason. We have the ability to form a conscience And we have choice, we have free will. That's what makes us human. That's what distinguishes us from the animal kingdom and other lower forms of creation. Because we have those abilities and we have a soul, it means that there is is within us that innate nature of asking why am I here, what am I doing here, and what happens to me at the end of my physical life? And so as people have fallen away more from organized religion of one kind or another, they're still searching for those they're still searching for answers to the questions of their life and so a lot of people are moving into what i would call divinized forms of loosely spirituality which i say loosely because i don't consider the occult and the new age spiritual other people would because they're searching for answers to questions outside of the physical nature of existence But to me, the occult and the new age, those are doorways to the demonic. They're not necessarily the demonic in and of themselves, but they're doorways to it. And there's more and more people who are moving in those directions, Catholics and other Christians and other people just in general.
0: That's really interesting because uh, we do a lot of writing and speaking and podcasting here about uh, the decline of the church in America the institutional church and and some of the things that that we're seeing happening there with some of the trends, it's interesting that uh, you apparently see some connection between, uh, at least in this country, people walking away from the organized church and what you see in
1: the rise in this demonic activity. People, as people's faith optic thins, they're... Again, my opinion, but it's from listening to stories of people for ten years. As people's faith optic thins, they lose a critical advantage of discerning what are avenues that are healthy, safe, um, moral, um, and authentic, as it applies to issues having to do with whether you think of God as. A, a, a supreme being, as we do as Christians, or you think of God or um, another power in some kind of way. And so what I have found is very, very often the vast majority of people who come to me are not people who are in opposition to God. They're people very often who have actually have a real personal relationship with Jesus, will acknowledge that, but have either been sort of enticed or they've been curious, or a friend has suggested, um, another alternative means to uh, finding answers to dilemmas that oftentimes um, classical spirituality doesn't give you. And I think it doesn't give us what we want immediately. I think technology, and I'm not saying this to be, uh, the technology is the reason for all this, but I think the more technologically our age has become, and the more instantaneous we can be in contact with other people or get answers very very quickly i think we have kind of become conditioned that i want i want an answer to this dilemma now i don't want to wait maybe a year or two or three or i don't have my faith developed enough to be able to recognize that god has answered my my dilemma but i haven't recognized the way he answered it. And that's no judgment of a person. It's just saying, we don't, I mean, I, lots of times, even Catholics who are devout believers and then have these crises of faith because my prayer didn't get answered the way I wanted to, my prayer didn't get answered in a timely manner, or I don't understand why my prayer didn't get answered and so why is God upset with me? Why, why am I a deficient Catholic or a deficient Christian or a deficient person, and therefore, I'm going to kind of cast God off and find another way because this way doesn't work. And I think it's, it's there's not one answer, but it's a it's kind of a, a kaleidoscope of a lot of reasons. But largely, it's somehow institutional religion for a lot of people isn't working. We'll be right back to our
0: conversation with Father Gary Thomas in just a moment. As we're talking about how more people today are walking away from church, I've got a couple of books that I'd like to recommend to you that I wrote along with my wife, Joni. They are Why Nobody Wants to Go to Church Anymore, and the other book, Why Nobody Wants to Be Around Christians Anymore. Kind of long titles for books, I understand, but uh, they've got a lot of good stuff that I think will help you, including with uh, dealing with our topic that uh, we have online this week. What you'll find here are some practical ideas on how to rethink ministry and your relationships to be more magnetic. In the books, we focus on our four acts of love, as we call them one of those deals with what we call fearless conversation ways that you can talk about anything including the topic of evil in this world and ways that you can talk about these things in productive ways that bring people closer to god and closer to one another and you'll also see how fearless conversation gets played out every week in life tree cafes all over the country you can find out more about the books why nobody wants to go to church anymore and why nobody wants to be around christians anymore at group.com, or at your local bookstore, or on your local online retailers. Find out more about Lifetree Cafe at lifetreecafe.com. Now, back to our conversation with Father Gary Thomas. You know, surveys show that uh, a declining portion of the population now believes in the devil and the concept of, of hell. A Harris poll recently showed that 58% believe in the devil and hell it's down uh, several percentage points from 10 years ago so my question for you is what kind of job do you believe the church at large is doing presently to help people
1: understand and deal with the presence of evil i can only speak for the catholic church on this score Uh, i don't think we're doing enough um in 2004, when John Paul II, St. John Paul II, uh, the year before the end of his papacy when he passed away, he issued a mandate through the Congregation for the Doctrine of the Faith, which Car- which Cardinal Ratzinger, later Pope Benedict XVI, be- was the head of that department, issued a mandate at, uh, requiring every bishop in the world to select a priest and train them to be an exorcist. And that was because of the growing occult that was taking place and continues to take place in europe which is now really spread to the united states uh in 88 1988 i was i was on a month sabbatical at louvain at in belgium where the, the united states bishops conference had a seminary for more than 100 years and no longer they just recently closed it down and there was it was very clear the apathy in 1988 of catholicism in western europe was palpable and i only know that because i spent a month there and i have plenty of examples of that that was not the case in the united states but over the last 20 years i've seen a lot more apathy on the part of catholics toward their faith and i think it's because of the same kind of apathy that 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 has existed in europe that preceded us and it has to do with in the new evangelization that was instituted by john paul ii um, the word relevancy is kind of a key word now that we use that for many people jesus is irrelevant, and uh, it may Jesus may be relevant, but the church is irrelevant, and the church and Jesus are not necessarily, obviously, one and the same. But the church is there as the custodian of truth and to continue spreading the message of our Lord Jesus Christ. Um, but in that regard, I think what what is what has happened over time is Catholics, as well, including the hierarchy, um, have have simply ignored this element. So I think you bring all those things together without placing any blame. But I think we went from Satan being very prominent in the theology of the church to Satan kind of going to sleep. Or we thought that Satan went to sleep. And I think people then over time, when you quit talking about something that's part of your culture, it goes out of your culture. And I think until John Paul II made this mandate, he he made this an issue for the church once again. What do you say to uh, the common
0: person who says that they can't accept a God who would allow evil, who would allow uh, a spirit like Satan to exist, to allow the concept of hell? They say, if, if, that's, if that's your God, I want no
1: part of a God that allows those kinds of things. What do you say to them? Well, my answer back to them is that first of all, God gives us free will. And the reason that God allows evil to exist and evil. God, God did not create evil. Evil, evil is manufactured from human beings decision oftentimes to go outside the boundaries of what God's will is. So there are natural disasters that happen, which sometimes people can look at as being a kind of evil and people can suffer greatly because of it. Um, I'm not talking about those kinds of things, but I am talking about where people make choices in their lives, or sometimes people are the recipients of the choices of other people and also suffer. And in those cases, it's not their fault that something happens to them. But because of free will, and God doesn't interfere in free will, that is why we have evil in the world. Lucifer was God's greatest angel, meaning the angel of light. When Lucifer was forced to worship the God man, that's what the incarnation is all about. That's when the war in heaven broke out. When God chose to become incarnate, that's why the Son of Man, the second person of the Blessed Trinity, we always had the Trinity. But when God chose to become incarnate, that was what caused the rebellion in heaven to take place. And when that took place, Lucifer, who believed that he could be equal with God, was going to now have to worship the God-man, and the, the human nature being that below of the nature of angels, that produced a kind of pride and envy in, in Lucifer and a third of the angels in heaven, according to the book of Revelation. When that happened, it was Michael who led the angels who were loyal to God and cast Lucifer out. Satan became his name. It comes from a Hebrew word, Satan, meaning adversary. So, just as in the Bible, where Abram becomes Abraham and Simon becomes Peter because their names change because their roles change, Lucifer then becomes Satan because he no longer is the angel of light, but he is the great adversary to God.
0: Well, some people today uh, thinking of. Satan and the demonic as something from fairy tales. Some today would say that. Um, well, that that's that's simply emblematic of of how Satan works, wanting us to think that uh, he is not involved, he is not uh, engaged in this activity with us. Is that your view as well?
1: Well, I think there are some people who think it's all medieval. I've had people say to me. I, I think the 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 church's teaching is uh, is medieval, including some priests and bishops. So it isn't it isn't just people in general. It's people who are in positions of leadership and authority. Um, I think in the last from '04 to now, I think a lot of bishops, as they have had more and more requests for an exorcism or an investigation of a diabolical experience, have had to face that this isn't just people who are. Who who are um, irrational or people who are reckless, Um, and I think the frequency, like in in the movie, you know, um, Field of Dreams, if you build it, they will come. Um, I think clearly, bishops are realizing the sobriety of, of of this growing condition once again, and so many have followed suit in terms of the mandate of the Holy Father. Not all bishops have followed suit, but more and more are. I happen to be on the board of the School of Exorcism for uh, the United States, and um, we have 44 priests and six deacons in training right now in a program that will go for two years. We just graduated 50 priests out of a program last year, which is a two-year program. And so there are more and more bishops who are realizing, I need to have somebody who's trained even if what the person claims is demonic isn't and that's why you have uh, that's why i have a team because even in the in the solemn rite of exorcism in the what we call the prenatanda which is the introduction or the instruction it clearly says in there you know you have to consult experts before you can reach a conclusion about whether or not this person has a preternatural slash demonic problem or if this is something caused by a mental condition, a medical condition, or a psychiatric condition. And that's why I have all those people on my team. Now the reason that they're all Catholic and, and are believers is that in the psychiatric psychological world, most, most, not all, I wanna underline most, most therapists do not believe in God. Mm-hmm. Mostly are agnostics and atheists. So you need to have people who are looking f- at a person through the same optic as the church is, because it's not to stack the deck, but it is to say, in the consideration of discernment, that also a preternatural possibility also is an option.
0: (laughs) In a nutshell, how do you tell the difference between someone who is experiencing some sort of demonic possession or activity versus somebody who is simply suffering from a mental illness?
1: Well, honestly, that's where I rely on the that's where I rely on the clinicians and the psychiatrists to help me with that. So we never start off like very oftentimes I will get a call and person will say, Father, I need an exorcism. And my pet answer back to them is I don't do them on demand. And then I want to say I'm not being sarcastic, but I don't do them on demand. It doesn't work that way. It's not like come in, have an exorcism. It's not like going to the ER. you, You just stepped in a rusty nail. You get a tetanus shot and you're all better. It's a discernment process because if I was to perform an exorcism, a formal one, or even do deliverance, on people where there isn't at least a suspicion that there is something preternatural, I can do some very serious psychological harm to that person, especially with a solemn exorcism. So you want you have to do due diligence. And the church actually is very, very conservative in this approach, and I think rightfully so, because is the person suffering from some psychotic break? If they're just because if a person is hearing voices or are having visual psychosis, and and it happens to be images of the demonic. Does that mean that they have something demonically wrong? No. I mean, I've had people who are meth users and who've been long-term meth users come to me. And when you ask all of these kinds of questions about addictions and drugs and whatever, I always bring it. Have you, have, you, have you ever used meth? Yes. For how long? For a long time. How long have you been sober from it? Well, for a long time as well. But then you go consult the toxicologist, and the toxicologist will tell you it would take three years of abstinence before there would be any chance that the person's brain would be able to sufficiently heal and there's no guarantee. So you have to take all of that stuff into account. Now, if all if a good number of the signs of signaling a demonic attachment are present and this person has been a meth user, well, you have to take it's a judgment call. But then you might have them in you might have them see a psychiatrist or if they've been under the care of a psychiatrist or psychologist who has permission, may I have access to have a conversation with them and can you give me permission to do that and then call that psychologist and then we would have a conversation. So it's very involved. It, it's not a it's not a quickie. I mean it, it, it's very time consuming. And that's why I have a team.
0: For those who you found to have a legitimate uh, involvement with the demonic is there uh, is there a certain type of person or a certain type of background within a person that makes them more susceptible to demonic activity
1: well that's a very very good question I I, I would Satan, is, Satan is, a, is more attracted to people who have broken relationships or no relationships now that does not mean there's no absolutes with any of this but People who are sexual abuse victims, 80% of the people who come to me are abuse victims. Wow. That's a soul wound. And so very often, usually it's in combination between that wound and other kinds of occult, new agey stuff that they've gotten involved in that that will bring on a demonic foothold. Not always, but I would say that is probably, you know, if you say that what's a predisposition, that would be one. Now, obviously, as a person who's, who's a sexual abuse victim, it's not their fault. And sadly, these people have been abused. Usually, it isn't as somebody who's abused as an adult, it's it's person who's been abused in a, by a pedophile or an um, you know, They've been abused since they were two, or they've been abused since they were five, either by a family member. A neighbor, um, a teacher. Um, in one case, it was a priest whom I had to report to the Archbishop and who had died, but nonetheless, I had to report that. Um, so I would say if there's any predilection, it would be the abuse. Now, that doesn't mean because a person is an abuse victim that they become a target for Satan, but what it does mean is that unless they go and they find some way through therapy, through counseling of some kind or another, to heal that wound, it means that they're more vulnerable. I would I would say that they are more vulnerable. However, I've met lots of people who've gone through therapy and counseling who've not been involved in those kinds of things, and, and there hasn't been anything satanic. So again, I don't want to in any way, for the people who are listening to this podcast, walk away saying, okay, because a person is, is an abuse victim, they become a victim of Satan. That's not the case. But I am saying... In those kinds of cases, I'd say that would be that would certainly expose them to potentially something more, potentially, preternatural. I think people who are involved in in drugs certainly those are doorways, and anybody who's been a user of um, magic, sorcery, um, certain cultures in the Hispanic culture, there there is a preponderance of um, they're called curanderos, which means healer. There is a preponderance of superstition that is oftentimes mixed in with Catholicism. Um, in the African culture, it is prevalent with voodoo. Um, but in other Vietnamese, Filipino cultures, they also have their own form of witches, just as in the Anglo culture. Um, I think people who are drawn to those things, obviously, are, just, are much more... Um, they become much more vulnerable. Mm. But I would say, you know, um, if you're looking for groups, I think people, who've, people who have been addicted, that's certainly one. Porn is a big doorway, a huge doorway. And I hear a lot of when people who come to confession. I hear that brought out of confession a lot. Mm. So what I do in those cases where people have habitual sins, there is a process that was developed by... Um, a Catholic um, uh, apologist whose name is Neil Lozano, he wrote a book called Unbound. In the unbound method, what I use in confession oftentimes is where I will use the cross to crush the stronghold of porn addiction, drug addiction, um, masturbation, and other addictions that people may have where they just are struggling to get out of them. And I'll use the cross to crush the stronghold and then, bind the debris of the stronghold to the cross of Jesus. And I've had people come back and say to me that it's helped them a great deal. Hmm. What should we do if uh, we
0: suspect a friend or a family member may be under some kind of demonic
1: influence? Well, I think if we know the person well enough and trust that the person can hear what we have to say, I think we should approach them and say, given what I've been observing in you or given what you have been struggling with for a long time, have you, have you ever in your life, have you ever opened a doorway to the occult or to the new age or been a sort of a a secret practitioner? Some people are very open about these sorts of things because oftentimes they don't, they don't seem, they've become so mainstream. Now you can go, you can go to um, metaphysical stores, um, there's a store in a town in our diocese. Um, it doesn't, it, it, it identifies itself, um, it's called, well, I won't say what it's called because I don't want to slander the store because it's a bookstore, but it also has a lot of New Age stuff in there. And I recently went to a home where they had bought a lot of stuff from there where they were experiencing great disturbances in that house and then someone a number of years ago came to me and brought me something, long story, I won't go into the whole detail, but they brought me something that clearly had something attached to it. So I, th- I think where a lot of times this stuff is now mainstream, going to a medium, going to a seance, playing with Wicca, uh, playing with a Ouija board, having your, card, having, having your palms read, going to a tarot card user, those are all doorways. And people think that it's kind of cute to go to a birthday party. I've had people come and tell me they, their kids have been to a birthday party where they have playing with a Ouija board. I says, don't ever let your child go back there again. And if you would like, I will pray over your child, not because they have something attached, but in case they do. Um, I think these things have become so mainstream now for so many people that they don't even see the dangers of it. But I I think if the, to your question, if you, the person felt comfortable enough to approach them, not to lay a plant a seed of despair, but to say, given that you have been under this depression for so long, Have you ever thought of going to see somebody, a priest or a minister who has some expertise in deliverance just to simply do a diagnostic or a discernment? Just, if nothing else to do, due diligence. And sometimes that's what happens. People call me and say, my husband, my son, my daughter, my uh, niece, whatever, my neighbor, um, if, they, if they're unwilling to get help or unwilling to be open, I've said to them, there isn't anything I can do, because God does not interfere in free will. So if they are open, sure, have them come. We'll, we'll, we'll sit. We'll discern with them. We'll pray with them. We'll see what happens.
0: Well, to wrap up your uh, thinking about some of this stuff and, and thinking about some of these cases, it just uh, sends a chill. Uh, up my spine, I know to to think about it, and uh, I'm sure some people can get uh, get themselves worried, just sleeplessly about uh, the, the evil that exists in our world today, and and the power of evil and the power of satanic influences, and worry that uh, the power out there is greater than than the power that we possess with God. And uh, go to bed with a hopeless sense. How does the power of Satan compare to the power of God?
1: Well, there's no, it's, a, it's a slam dunk. I mean, you're asking me a question that you already know the answer to. Christ's death on the cross sealed the deal for our salvation. When the moment that Jesus breathed his last, Satan was defeated. And I oftentimes will start my talks that way. Satan was defeated by the blood of the Lord, by the by the by the by the sacrifice of Christ on the cross, by the shedding of Christ's blood. Satan was defeated, and he knows that. Satan knows that his Satan knows that at the end of time, we call that the Greek word is parousia. We at the end of time, when Christ returns, the second coming, Satan will be destroyed, and all of the agents, all of his minions with him. They know that already. So they're desperate. They have two roles. One is they're parasitic. In other words, the, demon, the, the demons and Satan are all gradually dying. And so to be attached to a living human being gives them a kind of temporary artificial life, number one. Number two, they want to take as many of God's children away from our Lord as possible and lead them to, to a destiny of complete destruction. And some people already have chosen that um, because sometimes there's there are perks by in this world By belonging to the kingdom of darkness. But the kingdom of darkness is going nowhere. Secondly, there's four ordinary means of protection that I also give and share with in my talks that hopefully will give all of your listeners reassurance. The four ordinary means of protection are these a faith life. I have a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, and that I know God even a little in a personal way, or I'm open to knowing God, a prayer life, which means I have regular communication with God in order to be able to know him better, just like my spouse, or do I know my spouse or my kids or my friends or whoever. Um, a moral life that knowing, loving, and serving God, which is from the old Baltimore Catechism, which I think still applies. Why did God make me to know, love, and serve him in order to live with him forever in heaven? That's what I tell the kids in my parish. What's the number one goal in life? And they know, it's to get to heaven. That's the top, That's the top goal and then out of a desire to love God and therefore to serve him and to want to be a disciple, that in the Catholic tradition we have the sacraments and the sacramentals. For people who aren't Catholic, a prayer life and a moral life is equally very, very good. It's just in our system we also have the sacraments that help us with keeping that armor, confession and Eucharist and daily prayer. Jesus says in the Gospels 60 times, Do not be afraid. He also says resist Satan, resist the devil, but don't be afraid. So I don't think people have to go to bed tonight, whatever time this is going to be broadcast, thinking, oh my God, if you have a prayer life, a moral life, a faith life, and a sacramental life, that's your armor. And if you live a life, if you're not a Christian, but you live your life in the disposition of the will of God, and you try and do what's right, and you try and follow in the footsteps of the breath of what Christ is about, I don't see why you you should not be afforded the same kinds of protection that anybody else would be.
0: Father Gary Thomas, thank you.
1: Certified exorcist. You're most welcome. Thank you for having me on. I hope this was a helpful conversation for you and your listeners.